Welcome to Shorties, a short true crime story. Happy flippin' Friday, happy finale Friday. Happy finale Friday, freaks, is what I was going to say. <laughs> Alliteration. <laughs> that works too. Which was weird. <laughs> But the sentiment is correct. How aggressive if we just started calling our listeners freaks. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey, freaks. Hey, everybody freaks. (laughs) You can tell I was not a bully when I was younger. Hey, everybody freaks. Hey, everybody losers. (laughs) Listen up here, dorks. Well, um, okay. Hi. So on that note, hi. Hi. Um, what do you have for me on on this fine Friday? Freaky Friday. (laughs) I have a case that is my worst nightmare. Oh, what else is new? <laughs> yeah, no, like this one covers it all. It's like home invasion, murdered in your home, detainment. And um, so I decided to choose it. I don't know what mental yeah. illness that is, okay. <laughs> but I decided to learn more about the thing I fear the most. That works. That's all. There's, I mean, there's a reason true crime is so popular. Yeah, <laughs> Morbid so, fascination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are an alarming amount of kidnapping and detainment cases. So many, in fact, that it was very hard to narrow it down to one. Um, I chose to cover the incredible survival story of Jamie Kloss. Okay. And this story takes place just a few years ago in October of 2018. So pretty recent. Really recent. 21-year-old Jake Patterson was working at Saputo Cheese in Almina, Wisconsin, when he first spotted Jamie Kloss. Jake was instantly enamored and stared obsessively as she got onto a bus. Jamie was only 13 years old at the time. Oh. Yeah. This wasn't a love at first sight sort of situation. Not the kind you like. He followed the school bus so that he could memorize her route and see where she lived. I love that it. You said bus, so I just assumed this was a young woman on a city bus. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, a city girl. <laughs> actually, it's a child on a school She's bus. She's going to probably a uh, uh, seventh grade sort okay. of situation. Okay. For days, Jake couldn't get the young girl off of his mind. He was transfixed on the idea of kidnapping her and holding her as his prisoner. According to a later interview, Jake had fantasized about kidnapping a young teenage girl for a very long time. He said the idea came to him after he had been discharged by the Marines for medical reasons. When all good ideas are born. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and just show you actually a picture of Jake because he has the wormiest, most punchable face I've ever seen in my life. Did you say wormiest or wormiest? Worm. Wormiest. He looks like a worm. He does look like a worm. (gasps) He looks like a human worm. He does. No, like he looks like in Bugs Life, like a real life sort of reenactment of that movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. He had spent years thinking about every tactic and every detail that would guarantee that he got away with this crime. But he said he never acted on his desires until he saw Jamie. Later in an interview, he so eloquently said... I was more like thinking I could kidnap a fucking girl and just like keep her and shit. If it wasn't Jamie, it would probably be someone else. Okay, cool, bro. Yes. So real quick, you get an idea of this guy. (laughs) I was like a fucking girl and just like keep her and shit. God. On October 5th, 2018, Jake Patterson drove to the home of Jamie Kloss. So he like started stalking her. Like he figured out where she lived and stuff. He figured out her routines. He figured out when she was dropped off. He figured out who she lived with, all of those things. 
His plan was to kidnap her, but he decided against it when he saw people walking around inside of the house. He was worried that there would be too many possible witnesses, so he got in his car, drove away, and then came back just a few days later. Once again, there was activity inside the house, and he left. He made his third and final visit on October 15th. Before leaving the house, he decided he needed to do something to, in quotes, pump himself up. And this is when he put his shotgun in his mouth and told himself, you know, either I'm going to die or they are. He pre-gamed for his horrible crime. He could have done everybody a favor and, and just, and just died. done, done the, the, the latter option. Mm-hmm. Or no, that was the former option. Yeah, sorry. Former, yeah, letter. former. Yeah. Before getting into his car. <laughs> we know God, grammar, guys. Yeah, yeah we, we know. <laughs> Before getting into his car, Jake decided that he better shave his head and beard to avoid leaving behind any genetic evidence. He had dreamt about this moment for so long, like the real sicko that he is, and he was ready to do whatever it took to snatch this girl and not leave any witnesses or a trace of evidence behind. He then got into his maroon Ford Taurus and drove to the Kloss residence. He had kept the trunk safety cord thing, like the cord where you can pull it open from the inside. In case of a kidnapping. In case you want to put a, a kid in your trunk. So he like dismantled it? He Yeah, he cut it oh so that you couldn't pull it. And he also swapped out his license plate for a stolen one. This time he approached the home after midnight because he figured the family would all be asleep. And he was right. He turned off his lights and drove slowly down the driveway. He parked his car and got out quietly armed with a 12-gauge shotgun, wearing a ski mask and all-black clothing, he made his way to the front door of the home. As Jake approached, the family dog starts losing her mind, barking and growling and alerting the family of an intruder. James Kloss, who is uh, Jamie's dad, was completely disoriented because he had been dead asleep at this point. It's past midnight, and all of a sudden his dog is flipping out. So he's like jolted awake, so his stomach's mm-hmm. flipping. We've all been there. It's a terrible feeling. It's a horrible feeling. James shone a light onto him through the glass pane that was on the front door. And what did he see? The absolutely horrifying sight of a man wearing a ski mask and holding a gun. James demanded that Jake immediately show him his badge. And I'm guessing he thought that this random trespasser was a cop. Instead of complying with James' demands, he yelled, open the fucking door, before shooting Mr. Kloss through the glass. The single shot killed him instantly. Jake was able to damage the deadbolt and force himself into the home. Detectives reported that he most likely shot the lock with his shotgun. Jake quickly made his way from room to room. He didn't want to leave any witnesses behind, so he was on a mission to locate the remaining family members. He checked every single door and scanned every single room. When he tried opening up the bathroom door, he discovered that it was locked. He knew that this meant that Mrs. Kloss and Jamie must be hiding inside. At 12.53 a.m., a 911 call came in. Deputy Presley could hear loud screaming in the background. The dispatcher called the number back when the first call ended, but it went straight to voicemail. The voicemail greeting confirmed that the phone belonged to Denise and Denise's uh, Mrs. Claus. Jake was in the process of kicking and slamming his body against the locked bathroom door. He had the strength and determination that only absolutely crazy people have. And I just can't stop thinking about what these poor people must have been feeling and thinking. This maniac just shot and killed your husband and father of your kid. And now he's slamming his body against the door, doing anything to try to get to you. So terrifying. When he got inside, he grabbed the phone from Denise and threw it across the room. Jamie and Denise were cowering in the bathtub, afraid for their life. 
Jake said that Denise was holding Jamie with her whole body like a bear hug, protecting her baby however she could. Jake handed a roll of duct tape to Denise and demanded that she tape her daughter's mouth. He was apparently displeased by her taping job and began to tape Jamie's hands, feet, and mouth himself. After he was done, he grabbed his gun from the bathroom counter and shot Denise in the head. He stated that he didn't look at her when he shot her. He pointed the gun at her head and quickly turned away. After killing her mother in front of her, he told Jamie to just keep walking. He stated, it's like I already forgot that her legs were tight or whatever. I was dragging her. And then I just dragged her out of the house. Um, I remember I stepped on James' blood and slipped almost or almost slipped. And then after that, I just dragged her, threw her in my trunk and drove away. As he was driving away from the house, he pulled over to let three police cars go by. The police that were headed to the Kloss residence after receiving that 911 call. He was later questioned about what he would have done if the police cars had stopped to question him. He said, I don't know exactly. I mean, honestly, I probably would have shot myself or shot the cops. I only had three bullets left and I knew that. The home was located only three miles away from the dispatch center. Deputy Presley, Eric Sidani, and John Fick responded to the dispatch and arrived at the home at exactly 1 a.m. That is just seven minutes after the call was made. Oh my God. Like they did everything. They did everything right. Everything that they could and it wasn't fast enough. While they were on the way to the house... Deputy Fix said that he saw only one vehicle pass, a maroon-colored Ford Taurus that was headed eastbound while they were driving west. The vehicle belonged to Jake, and Jamie was in the trunk. Jamie said later that she could hear the police sirens from the cop car drive by when she was in the trunk. And that is something that infuriates me whenever I watch any sort of show or movie that's like crime-related, and the cops are coming, and they're headed to a crime scene but they don't stop the one car that's headed away from the scene. Yeah. I, n- I never, it's infuriating to me every single time. Especially in the middle of the night. I could see yeah. how it, it's not practical like during the day when people are awake and there's tons of people out, but in the middle of the night. One person going on. away from the one house that you're headed to, it's yeah. just, yeah, it's a worst nightmare. When the deputies arrived on the scene, everything was quiet. They saw that there were lights on in the home, one coming from a corner room on the second floor and another coming from the primary bedroom. They made their way to the front door and tried shining their flashlight through the window to get a look inside. There was heavy condensation on the glass so they could barely see a thing. They noticed the door was partially open because of a rug being jammed between the door frame and the door. They found James Kloss lying on the floor with brain matter and blood all over the walls. The house was eerily quiet as the cops searched every room of the house. For all they know, the murderer could be hiding somewhere or another body could be just around the corner. Inside the bathroom, Deputy Sidani found Denise sitting unresponsive in the shower. Like her husband James, she had been shot in the head. I read in the court documents that the backside of her head was completely removed and it was found next to her body in the bathtub. It appeared as if Denise had attempted to barricade herself in the bathroom because the top like upper right drawer of the cabinet had been pulled out approximately half a foot, which is actually very, very smart. That it was a good move on her end, but unfortunately his strength was able to break down that door. So you mean like a drawer that's like from the vanity, it's like mm-hmm. right next to the door. So he, so she like it jammed it basically, which was a really smart move and something that you should keep in mind. It <laughs> is a really smart move. My bathroom has a drawer right next to the door like that. Yeah. So you just pull it out. But um, the heavy damage at the door suggested that Jake had kicked it down and basically he had split it in two. Yeah. 
Next to the door jam on the bathroom floor, there was the cell phone that was used to place the 911 call. During the investigation, Detective Nelson got a call stating that Denise and James had a 13-year-old daughter named Jamie. There must have been a rush of panic when they realized that they could not locate a child anywhere in the house, suggesting that she must have been taken by the individual that murdered her parents. Meanwhile, Jake was driving back to his home in Gordon. His town was located about 70 miles from Jamie's house, which means she was bound in the truck for almost two hours. When they got there, he made her change into his clothes and then burned all of the tape that he had used to bind her. He then bound her again and put her onto his bed before he went to sleep on the couch. The next morning when he woke up, he recalled feeling a deep sense of remorse over what he had just done. He could barely look at Jamie and spent the day in complete shock that he had actually murdered two people and kidnapped their kid. Law enforcement officials made an announcement to the public that they were positive that Jamie was still alive, but that she was in a lot of danger. Thousands and thousands of people were volunteering for search parties. The FBI offered a cash reward to anyone that knew of any information that would lead to her whereabouts. An entire community rallied together to try and get the word out and find this young girl. Investigators received countless tips, but they led to nothing. For nearly three months, Jamie remained his prisoner. Jake said in an interview that they played board games, watched TV, went for walks around the yard, and played catch and badminton. When the reality was, Jamie was held captive for 88 days and spent the majority of those days trapped under Jake's bed for up to 12 hours sometimes. 12 hours without a bathroom, food, or water. He would fill boxes with super heavy weights and then surround the bed so that she couldn't push her way out. And if she tried, he would be able to hear the weights clanging around. The gap under the bed was only two and a half feet tall. You'd feel like you're being buried alive. Yeah. You have no food, no water, no bathroom for 12 hours underneath a twin bed with weight. Like It's like you can't even move, can barely breathe. It should really not shock me that this loser sleeps in a twin-sized bed. Oh, I know. He just, yeah. (laughs) Every single Saturday, Jake's father would come over for a visit at the house. Jake would put Jamie underneath the bed before telling her that she had it pretty good and, in quotes, could have it a lot worse here. He'd leave the radio on in his room to drown out any potential noise and so that she couldn't hear whatever was going on in the rest of the house. He recalled once allowing Jamie to write a letter to her aunt so that she could let her know that she was still alive. Jake said that he would consider dropping it off on the aunt's driveway, but eventually decided against it. There was never an explanation about whether or not he did this as a way of like messing with her head and giving her false hope, or if he intended on delivering that letter. Jake's dad gave him a hundred bucks a week just for groceries and bills. So he basically survived off of that. And when they ran out, he'd pick up odd jobs. He wasn't known to be particularly driven or hardworking. He oh, would, really? Yeah. <laughs> what a shocker. Yeah. He wasn't a standup employee. He would work for a day or two and then sit around until the the next temp job would pop up. During the time that Jamie was held captive, he applied online to work for a liquor wholesaler. On his application, he described himself as, in quotes, honest and hardworking. Oh, really? Not very self-aware. No, no. (laughs) He'd leave the house for pretty long periods of time, sometimes up to 12 hours. He said that even though he'd never hit her, he could tell she was really scared of him and his bad temper. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. Her fear made him trust her. He thought that there was no way that this girl would ever, ever betray him, especially after murdering her parents in front of her. 
It's worth noting that there haven't been any details of his treatment in regards to assault or violence um, that have ever been released. And I'm not sure if that's because she was a minor. Yeah. So maybe she's a minor. Yeah. There's an issue of privacy. According to court documents, Jake admitted to having sexual thoughts about Jamie, but in quotes, refused to act on them because he had so much guilt from killing your parents. He said they did sleep in the same bed, though. Jake watched the news constantly and kept track of all of the coverage on the abduction. As time passed, his confidence in not getting caught just kept growing. He said, After a while, I thought, well, I could get away with this. I mean, I understand how when there's no connection, a person has no connection to someone, how that's fucking almost impossible to solve or really hard to solve. Yeah, no, dude, it's not impossible. He's so stupid. I hate how he speaks. But guess what? Jamie was a lot smarter than that idiot. I believe it. She watched his routine very carefully and studied how long he would leave the house. She had built his trust over those miserable 88 days, and on January 10th, she made her move. It was a Thursday when Jake Patterson once again left the house while Jamie was trapped underneath his bed. This time, he informed her that he'd be gone for a few hours. Jamie was able to push her way out from under the bed, put on a pair of the kidnapper's shoes, and she escaped. Gian Nutter was... Gian Nutter. Good girl. Yeah, secret. Gian. (laughs) Who's named Gian? Wait, what? Oh, I thought you said good girl because to me, I'm like, yes, right. She's a good girl. <laughs> Ew. Because <laughs> I had said Gian instead of Jean. And I corrected myself and you're like, add a girl going back and fixing mistakes. <laughs> no, I just meant add a girl. She escaped. That is more applicable to the situation. I would think she deserves that more than I do. Yeah, I think so. So anyways, Jean, uh, Jean Nutter was taking her dog on a walk when she saw Jamie outside of her house. I read that this was actually some sort of miracle because Jean didn't usually come up to her cabin in Gordon at this time of year. So it was just a case of really bizarre and wonderful luck. Wow. It was January in Wisconsin, so it's freezing cold. And Jamie was very underdressed considering the weather conditions. She was wearing leggings, slippers, and a sweatshirt. Jean couldn't believe her eyes. She immediately recognized her as the young girl that had been kidnapped just an hour north. Jamie's missing person flyers had been everywhere, and I'm sure everyone in Wisconsin had seen them at this point. Yeah. A million things were going through Jean's head. She didn't know what to do. The girl was obviously in distress and rushing to get somewhere, so Jean quickly went after her. When she caught up, Jamie just stopped and said, I'm Jamie. She told her the name of the kidnapper and pointed out to Jean where he lived. Jean's property was literally up against Jake Patterson's property, So she brought Jamie to another neighbor's house for safety purposes. The man that lived there stood in the doorway with a gun to guard her while his wife called 911. Jean held on to Jamie and told her that she would be okay. While all of this is going down, Jake comes home to find that Jamie is no longer underneath the bed or anywhere inside of his home. He gets into his car to go look for her. And by now, Jake had already put his own license plate back on his car, so he was very easy to find. The authorities arrested Jake Patterson just 10 minutes later. Wow. I know, record time. (laughs) There was a ton of shock and confusion surrounding what Jake Patterson had done. The people that grew up around him thought he was a completely normal guy. His teachers and classmates described him as smart and quick-witted, quiet but not a loner. He had friends and was well accepted among the 34 members of the class of uh, 2015 at Northwood School, most of whom had been together since kindergarten. He was described as someone with a good sense of right and wrong 
and just always laughing and smiling. Wow. But also smart and quick-witted, this guy can't even form a sentence. Yeah. His parents had a troubled marriage and got a divorce when he was 11. Like most kids, the divorce negatively affected him, but not to the extent that it was really concerning to anyone around him. He moved from one small town to the next with his mom, but over time, he gravitated towards his father. He ended up in the rural town of Gordon that had a minuscule population of 645 residents. Whoa. Tiny. Tiny, tiny. A few different sources stated that he never dated or even talked about girls. It was like women just, just they just weren't on his mind, apparently. Okay. Jake had high hopes when he headed to the Marine Corps Recruit Depot in San Diego. He was so relieved to be done with high school and finally making his dreams of being in the Marines come true. But after just five weeks, he returned back to the small town of Gordon. A source stated that he had health issues and that he wouldn't have been able to keep up with the demanding regimen. And I couldn't find any details about these so-called health issues, but his grandpa said it was internal. The Marine Corps later made a statement about how his character didn't align with their expectations and standards. So in my head, I'm like, can you please be more specific? Yeah, you would think that if, okay. Like, well, could he not hold a plank for very long or was yeah. he the wacko? Like, right. this could be in a lot of things. Yeah. When he got home from San Diego, he spent most of his time isolated in his tiny cabin in his tiny town. He stopped hanging out with his high school friends and never responded to any of their calls. His parents were just as shocked. After Jake's arrest, his mother wouldn't leave the house. She was so terrified and confused because she never saw any of the signs of this behavior. She had never known him to be violent. His father said the same thing. And don't forget, this man would come over every single Saturday for some father-son bonding time while Jamie was held captive underneath his son's bed. That's and they just had a, no idea. <laughs> that's such, such another level of trauma and loss. I can't imagine learning that about your child. The parents have both refused to do any media interviews. When his father was stopped at the courthouse by a CNN reporter, he said, in quotes, all I care about is Jamie's family. The family collectively feels like they've experienced a death because they, their son is a monster yeah. and not at all who they thought he was. Yeah. At 21 years old, Jake Patterson was sentenced to life in prison for kidnapping Jamie and murdering her parents. According to Sputnik News, the judge sentenced Patterson to two consecutive life terms for intentional homicide, along with 25 years in prison and 15 years of extended supervision for kidnapping without the possibility of release. Judge James Babbler told Jake that he was one of the most dangerous men on the planet and the embodiment of evil. Jake pulled the whole, like, I regret this more than you could ever know BS. Oh, shut up. And when asked why he did what he did, he would respond with, you wouldn't understand. Oh, shut shut the, the fuck, fuck up. up. One minute he would say that he regrets what he did and he wishes he could bring her parents back. And then next he would say, I'm really good at just not thinking about stuff that I don't want to think about. Like I honestly barely until right now thought about the murders. Shut the fuck I up, know. dude. Literal, oh my God. The just human stop equivalent, talking. Human equivalent of diaper rash. <laughs> and that's, that's saying a lot. It's, frustrating when when murderers don't talk mm -hmm. and then there's some where it's like if this is all you're saying just shut your mouth you're not actually helping you're not just, contributing to anything no. he is currently serving life at wisconsin's dodge correctional institution which is the same place where um that chris watts guy is serving life oh is it yeah the one that killed his pregnant wife and kids i bet they could just like hang out and talk about how stupid they are probably have so much in common 
Jamie Kloss is now living with her wonderful aunt, Jennifer Smith, and apparently is doing very well. She's involved in school activities and loves to dance. She gets stronger every single day and is just learning to adjust to her new normal. And this is a statement from Jamie. He thought he could own me, but he was wrong. I was smarter. I was brave and he was not. He thought he could make me like him, but he was wrong. For 88 days, he tried to steal me and he didn't care who he hurt or who he killed to do that. He should be locked up forever. She's just so brave for doing that. This so, girl, she's a child and she she's a badass. That's incredible. I, I'm so impressed with her. Jamie's loved ones are so thankful for everyone that worked endlessly to find her. And that is the incredible survival story of Jamie Kloss. You told that so well. Thank you. I am so proud of this little girl. I know. The fact that she, I mean, she didn't know, because when he told her that he was going to be gone for a few hours, you could, I mean, if I were her, I'd be like, is that is this a test? Yeah. Is, is he like seeing if I'm still scared of him? I wouldn't trust anything out of this man's mouth. But she was like, this is my opportunity. I am getting the hell out of here. Yeah. If she felt confident after watching and paying close attention to mm -hmm. his routine for so many days, yep. 88 days straight. I mean, at some point you have to feel confident, like this is my chance to try. I have to do it. And she was successful and he was an idiot and she outsmarted him. So absolutely incredible. It was an incredible story. Well, it, was a, it was a good finale. Thank you. Story too. Yeah. Badass women. Yeah. Can't even, take us down. <laughs> even as a 13 year old. I know. It's incredible. That was such a fun uh, season. It I was so interesting. I think we did a good job this season and I'm excited for next season too. And we have lots of exciting things coming. Thank you so much for supporting us and coming along on this journey. <laughs> and remember to rate, review and subscribe wherever you enjoy listening and tell everybody about this show. We need you. We need you. We want you and we need you. Yeah. We got to have you. <laughs> well, All right. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you enjoy listening. We owe everything to the many journalists, authors, filmmakers, psychiatrists, and psychologists whose extensive work and expertise we pulled from to share this episode with you. To view detailed source material, as well as content from today, please visit us on Instagram and TikTok at Shorty's Podcast. We really love doing this show, and if you'd like to help with the continued creation of it, you can support by donating to our Patreon, patreon.com slash shorties podcast. This episode was hosted by Ashley Brumley Johnson and Anna Katharina.